Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Tuesday, meaning it's time for another episode of And Then What Happens, the serial fiction podcast where only you know what happens next. I am one of the hosts, Chris Robinson, at Chris Robinson on Twitter. I am the other host, Kathleen Wisniewski, at Wisniewski on Twitter. And it's time for another installment of this crazy story uh, that we started seven short weeks ago. Yeah, this is the lucky seventh episode. Lucky seven episode. What? <laughs> seventh episode. You ever see the movie Lucky Number Slevin? Yeah, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I think so. Oh my god, we're the only two people who have seen Lucky <laughs> Number Slevin. But hopefully this is this kind of controversial content is what will get people writing in. They just want to do McGrady and Lucky Number Slevin fan fiction. Honestly, that's on the table. Darth <laughs> Vader could be in the next episode. It's up to you. If you're playing along, you're going to want to go to andthenwhathappens.com right after you hear this episode and just type up, type up, type up, type, 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 type away and let us know what happens next episode. Uh, if you have anything besides a submission for us, thanks to the people who've made suggestions about um, ways we could make the show technically different, better. Uh, That's right. We've, got a, we've gotten a lot of technical suge- suggestions. And you heard the first one last episode. Last episode, Rich didn't have uh, any any vocoder on his on his voice. There, he was just that was just straight Rich Wisniewski. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you have anything like that, any kind of feedback other than what happens next in the story, you can send that to our designated email address, which is and then what happens podcast at gmail.com. I see those emails first, so if you're embarrassed what Chris might think of your submissions, you can run and find me first. This is true. And guess what? Even if, if you wanted to write, you know, hey, this sucks, and then, you know, send to and then what happens podcast at Gmail, we're literally just going to write back to you. So, yeah, what would you do? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's right back in your court. That's that's the whole point of the podcast. It's up to you to solve this. Yeah. You, you could write us out if you wanted. Just you have to go through the effort. You know, have McGrady pierce the fourth wall, however that works, in audio storytelling. Find us in New York. Oh, my god! Oh, we'll have to travel back in time, I think, probably. That's right. right? Um, anyway, you, you can do it. The power is yours. This this is like Donnie Darko, right? Like, they, like you could... Or, or the butterfly effect. Remember that? No, I don't remember the butterfly effect. Oh my god, the butterfly effect is crazy. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to talk about that stuff. Uh, but the, you do bring up a point. Somebody could just come in and kill all the characters we've been watching mm-hmm. this whole time. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. It would just, it couldn't be too violent because we're aiming for about PG-13 oh, yeah. level of, of gore and violence. Mm-hmm. They, but you can do a lot. They kill. They get killed in shadows. Yes. <laughs> All of them. They all grab their wounds and go, and fall over. <laughs> um, but uh, if you're, for whatever reason, you picked episode seven to listen to first, you're probably wondering what the hell's happening here. And we're going to give you uh, a little, little recap. Yeah. So this is like, so what? So then what happens? It's like more of a question than a statement. <laughs> yeah, This this segment is called so what happened? Yeah. So this is what happened. Um, McGrady is a uh, everyman crook. He's uh, running around Florida, uh, you know, with with vengeance in his heart. He um, has a safe 
that has a bunch of paperwork in it that affects a lot of different people. And uh, one of the people is his son, Buster Ni uh, Lamont. Is that how Lamont? Lamont Nay Buster. Nay Buster. Yeah. All right, we're gonna, I'm going to edit this so it's, I said it correctly the first okay. time. Um, his birth certificate, his son's birth certificate is inside the safe along with a bunch of like dirty books um, for a bunch of like illegitimate businesses for a crime family called the Veracruz brothers. Um, and we don't know how many Veracruz brothers so far we've met two. Maybe we'll meet more. I don't know. We've also met a Veracruz cousin. That's right. That being Donatella Veracruz, mother of Lamont. Knee buster. Yes. Um, and yeah, and so she, she and, and McGrady had a romantic past. Things are very rough right now. Uh, but you don't need to know all that. You just need to know that there's a safe, a, um, McGrady has, McGrady's son's out, out there in the world, um, being a Eurocon, which is an invented word for (laughs) criminals in Europe. But I think it's a, it's a good word. It's like very evocative. I love it. (laughs) It reminds me of that, um, uh, Punisher arc, Euro hit. Okay. Love that. Yeah. Love that. It, like, it like conjures up, like, the images that you think of when you think of, like, Euro trash, but mm-hmm. then you, you add con onto it. It's pretty good. Lamont's not in Europe alone. He's there with Chloe, his... Romantic know, partner in crime. The, his romantic partner in crime. Veracruzes want the safe. Uh, McGrady wants to meet the Veracruzes and sort of have a showdown. Um, so... McGrady, at this moment, is captured by uh, one of the Veracruzes... Um, enforcers. So, anything could happen to him. Mm-hmm. Chloe has the key to the safe. Chloe's got the key. Yeah. No. Chloe's got the key. Wow. Yeah. Things are maybe converging, maybe not. We don't know. It's up to you. Yeah. So, other thing we want to talk about is who wrote this week's chapter. It was me. I did it. But I'd much rather if you did it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so hopefully. Someone out there is inspired or enraged or just moved to respond in some way. I think I think honestly that you know every week has gotten a little bit. Pe- people feel a bit more short-footed. They they seem to be taking more liberties with things. I know like our first couple chapters, we were kind of hesitant about moving things around too much. So I think things are getting exciting. Now is the time to jump yeah. in the pool. One hundred percent. Yeah, we we really appreciate all the feedback we've gotten. Um, you know, just like online and people sharing it and, uh, you know, nice little notes that I've received and that probably you've received just on the side from, uh, you know, folks who are enjoying the show along with you, um, whoever's listening right now, everybody that's listening. Yeah. And keep sharing it with your friends if you think it's worth listening to, but you don't really want to participate. If you have other friends who might feel the same, pass along some links to them to this podcast. That's right. Uh, so then what you need to know is, uh, you're going to go to that website we mentioned before, which is, and And then what happens.com and you will have until this Friday, July 31st to submit the next chapter if that's what you want to do. And that's all the business that we have on the docket today. That's right. Now it's time to find out. And then what happens?
Lamont Buster McGrady strode up the tarmac with a grin on his face a mile wide. With the white gold private plane behind him glinting in the midday sun, he looked like the March issue of The Rob Report. A motorized hunter green suitcase trailed behind him, tethered to his phone via Bluetooth, and never more than a couple steps behind him. Lamont had picked the color of his suitcase because a lifetime ago, it reminded him of money. In his youth, he had no idea that paper money would become blue and then eventually non-existent, replaced by precious stones and cryptocurrency, the kinds of things you could only find buried deep within other things, like the very DNA of greed itself. It helped that he knew nothing about DNA, just that it was the building blocks of life, whatever that meant. What he did know, however, was that he was in love. Just a few feet ahead of him walked Chloe, her jean jacket and sundress swaying back and forth hypnotically. Chloe was his partner in crime, and in life. They were Eurocons, a term they coined as soon as they went international. Lamont ran out of his broken criminal family straight into a new one with Chloe, one that he chose, which made all of the difference. He had rejected the idea that blood would decide the rest of his life. The invisible building blocks inside him held no more sway over his destiny than the stars above his head. A black limousine waited for them in the hangar. Chloe held the door open and strained a smile. Her micro-expression signaled discomfort, but Lamont was able to read her like no one else. What's wrong? He probed. Her eyes darkened. There's something I need to tell you. In Orlando, Daytona Veracruz spit a chalky wad of Big League Chew into the manicured grass under his feet. Sure, he owned the golf course, but he wasn't the one maintaining it. He had people for that. From his pocket, he produced another pouch of gum and jammed its contents into his cheek, as if the mashing of his teeth would relieve the stress in his shoulders and the headache building behind his eyes. Who's short this week? He grumbled. Nearby, a golf cart sat in the shade with a bespectacled man behind the wheel. It was Daytona's brother Miami, the meticulous keeper of the books. He flipped through a large three-ring binder bursting with odd-sized documents. It was as if a wound went gangrenous, only in paper form. By my calculations, the pink curtain won't last another week, Daytona. Send the girls home. Put Mrs. Doubtfire on every shift, Daytona responded. He hated to put them out, but it was him or them, and it would never be him. <laughs> Miami chuckled. We already sent them home, and Mrs. Doubtfire is ready to go on strike. Her name wasn't Mrs. Doubtfire. That's just what the brothers took to calling Marjorie Finkelstein, the elderly secretary-turned-stripper that the Pink Curtain had gained a reputation for. While the Veracruz boys had trouble remembering their employees' names, it was her resemblance to the late comedian Robin Williams that cemented the nickname. All that's left to do is sell, Day. We're not selling, Daytona roared back. He positioned it like a point of pride, but really? They couldn't sell any of their properties at the moment, not without their business safe and all the years of records within. They could recook up the books, but having two sets of documents out there, ones that surely wouldn't match at all, was just asking for trouble. No, they needed that paperwork, so they needed that safe, and they would go to any lengths for it. 
Daytona's newest goon, Bazoo, had captured McGrady, the former husband of Daytona's cousin. McGrady claimed to have the safe, but wouldn't say where he had it stashed. Clearly, their ex-in-law needed to be... convinced. It's time, said Daytona, nodding his head. Coco time! Miami stared out to an invisible point in the distance, as if he was hoping for the Coast Guard to crest the horizon. The man was lost in a sea of complicated emotions. Daytona offered what little comfort he could, putting a hand on his brother's shoulder. Soon the two men stood at the foot of a long, crooked hill. A converted manor sat in the distance on the peak. A team of psychologists, psychotherapists, nurses, and even a few men of the cloth stood in a clump a football field's distance away. The experts parted and the smallest nurse pushed a wheelchair with Coco sitting in it. He was catatonic, completely unresponsive, but clearly it was their medical opinion that he was still dangerous. Otherwise, why bother with the straitjacket and caged face mask? Coco Veracruz was big. He had the physique of a full-grown silverback gorilla, but the silverback had him beat when it came to communication. At least the ape had the capacity for sign language. Daytona and Miami knelt in front of their brother, Daytona squeezing Coco's knee gently. His masculinity refused to let him speak softly, so he let his hands do the comforting. Daytona pulled a weathered Polaroid from his pocket and held it in front of Coco's line of sight. Remember him? Coco's eyes rolled around in their sockets, but nothing happened. Uh, maybe he's cured? Miami adjusted his glasses nervously. Daytona cursed under his breath. He grabbed Coco's chin and yanked him forward into the Polaroid. He hurt Donatella. Seconds stretched into eternity. Coco's breathing ramped up from imperceptible to cacophonous. His eyes bulged and his teeth began to grind. His body convulsed. Then the grunting started. A deep, guttural sound, somehow both wet and dry at the same time. The grunting elevated into howling. The clergyman ran. Coco stood and lifted his wheelchair above his head. He mangled it like it was made of taffy. Daytona and Miami smiled to each other. Their brother wasn't cured at all.